0: David, Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show.
1: We're going to talk to Al McCoy. Al McCoy, who who you may not be aware of, is now the senior member, longest reign of play by play in the NBA forever. And he's going to join him. He's been doing the Suns games for 48 years. This will be his 48th year coming up. So we're going to hook up with Al McCoy. We're going to talk to him. And he's going to give us the lowdown on how he's managed to say so young. Hello. Mr. McCoy, it's Howard David, and you are live, so you don't have to wear a jacket. Uh, Okay. A golf shirt is okay. All right, that sounds good. How are you, my friend? Long time.
0: It has been. How are you
1: doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we're doing as well as we can all expect under the conditions. Well, I know what
0: you mean. And I have to ask you this now. you still
1: with Phyllis? Are you kidding me? She's what keeps me out of trouble. Well, be sure and give her my best. I will. It was nice of you to remember her. Well, uh, we always had a lot of fun going for dinner. We were in Milwaukee, I think. We used to get together more. Yeah, well, that and even in Phoenix, I remember. You took yeah. me to a place in Phoenix. It'll right, come to right. my mind... It'll come to my mind. Italian restaurant. It was very good. Yeah, well, I'll be sure and give her my best. He's a sweetheart. I will. So, how the heck have you managed to stay so young? You've been doing... You're going into your 48th year with the Suns? Yeah, this is
0: 48. I well, you know, my wife passed away seven years ago. So I'm sorry. So, I just kind of kept going. And, and, you know, it gives me something to do. And uh, how long that'll continue... I don't know. We may not have a season. I don't
1: think we will this year, but we'll see. Well, t- this morning I heard... Uh, apparently the Board of Governors uh, are going to meet with the Players Association at the end of this week to discuss two or three different scenarios. I didn't like one. There was one scenario that I didn't like at all. It was where they're including the teams that, if the playoffs started today, would be out of the playoffs. And and a a play-in type of a deal. I I don't like that. Well, it's just, uh, you know, they they decide
0: one thing one day and then they change the next. So it's just it's just, uh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I, I don't know.
1: I've given up on it. Just waiting to see. Well, you've seen a lot. Uh, you've watched a lot of really great basketball and in recent years. Things have not been so good for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they, they've missed the playoffs the last nine years uh, and now uh, have a 26-39 and 39 record if the season were, were to continue. So is there, is, can you point your finger at, at what's happened to the Suns in recent years?
0: Well, you know, the whole league and all of pro sports has changed a lot. Uh, well, you know, this is, uh, these last few weeks being kind of sequestered uh, kind of gives you an opportunity to look back at what has taken place uh, since the Suns have been in the NBA and in my 48 years. Obviously, the Suns have had some great years. We are in the NBA Finals twice, the first time against Boston, the second time against Chicago. There were triple overtime games in both of those series, the only time there has been in the NBA Finals. And they've had some great years and some great players. And at one time, it seemed like every player in the NBA wanted to come to Phoenix. But times change, ownership changes, uh, front office changes, and as you indicated, the last eight or nine years have not been good for the Suns. And uh, I think for a lot of reasons, as I mentioned, Howard, at one time, It seemed like every player in the NBA wanted to come to Phoenix. They had great ownership, great coaches, great weather. But uh, then things changed in the league where now players decide where they want to play. And obviously, uh, the major cities, uh, where the money is and where the outside money is, is where agents want their players to be and where players basically want to be. And so that's been the biggest change, I think, in the NBA. And the players want to be where they can have an opportunity to win a title. That's why we've seen teams, uh, well, like uh, Miami, like Cleveland, like uh, Golden State, have
1: put teams together that have won the championships. And those are some of the changes. I remember the uh, NBA Finals in 93 when Barkley was playing for the Suns and they lose to Michael and the Bulls. I happened to work that series for NBA Radio uh, I I thought it was um, I thought it had a chance as I recall that ended in six games. I uh, I, I rem- right. yeah the impact when when that trade first came down and Barkley was traded, um, and I'm trying to remember what, was it Lang that was in that deal Hornacek and 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 a center. Tim Tim, Tim Perry. Oh Tim Perry other, right. Yeah the, the other player yeah. Yeah so I remember that trade and I remember thinking to myself usually. The team that gets the superstar comes out ahead. And I'll maintain that they did because, let's face it, they went to the finals. Well, Charles had his greatest years as a pro
0: and he has said so many times, when he heard about the trade and realized he was going to join two players like Kevin Johnson, the starting point guard, and Dan Marley, he knew he had arrived at the right place. And obviously Charles was simply sensational that year, he was the MVP. Deservedly so, although maybe Michael Jordan didn't think so. But Charles had a great year, his best years as a pro. The Suns won 62 games, most uh, in the NBA. And, you know, it's interesting. We love to talk to former players. And if you go back to players on that 1993 team of the Suns, they still feel they were the better team. And, of course, they won the triple overtime game in Chicago that year. Right. And as you recall in that uh, what turned to be the deciding game really in Phoenix, John Paxson at the three-pointer just before the game ended that provided the victory for Chicago, and the next game was kind of anticlimactic, but uh, uh, a great series. And Charles Barkley, his best year as a professional was just absolutely unbelievable. I don't think I'd ever seen a player in all of my years that simply would not allow his team to lose games, and that was Charles's philosophy.
1: In that season, he was terrific. Did you see the uh, golf yesterday with Woods and Mickelson and Manning and Bo- and Brady? I just saw parts of it, Howard. Just parts of it. Well, the interesting thing about it, look, I thought that it was very well done. It was there, there was some great bio- dialogue, but Charles was on the telecast. Oh yeah. And he was <laughs> hilarious. I mean, I he was he was typical Charles. He had he had the right line at the right time, and he was chiding Brady because he wasn't playing well. And he said, he says, I'll give them $50,000 if Brady can keep his ball on the planet. <laughs> right. Well, Charles uh,
0: is a unique personality. Always a very sharp guy that had the right words at the right time. But he has established himself now as, well, I think we could probably agree, one of the premier sports TV
1: personalities in the country. Yep. And very liked by everybody. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I... Um, I remember when Charles, was, uh, when Charles was with you in Phoenix, and I was doing Milwaukee at the time, and the, the uh, Suns came to play the Bucks in a typical a typical balmy day in Milwaukee. It was minus 11, and, right. and I go to shoot around. Uh, the Suns had been to shoot around at 10 o'clock in the morning, and the Bucks were going to shoot around at 11. So I got there a little bit early, and as I'm walking into the arena from the parking lot, the Suns are coming out, and I run into Charles, and he looks at me, he goes man, you live here? And I said, uh, yeah. He goes, how the hell do you do that? And I said, (laughs) Charles, my check says Milwaukee Bucks. I'm staying here for a little while.
0: Well, you know, I have to say this about Charles. Obviously, he has this outgoing personality. But inside, Charles Barkley is one of the warmest human beings you would ever want to know. He does so many things for so many people, and he does not want the recognition. He doesn't want people to know that. But he has done so much
1: for so many people, Howard. It's unbelievable. He's uh, he's one of a kind. You have been, I mentioned, you've been there You're going into your 48th year with the Suns. You've missed, according to what I read, one game. And that was New Year's Eve of 2005 at Chicago. One game out of all these years? That's incredible. Well, I'll tell you,
0: this year, I, for the first time, I... Uh, missed some games oh and uh, i decided this year and i'm going to tell you exactly why as you know i'm sure talking to other nba broadcasters and other sports as well uh, many of the arenas have moved us to broadcasting locations where you cannot do your job and i have fought this for years to no avail and this year uh, i went to my people with the phoenix suns and i said you know what I'm sick of this. Uh, When I can't uh, do the game the way it should be done, when I can't see who's shooting a three-point shot, when I can't see the entire floor, I'm going to miss some games this year. And they were very nice to me. They said, well, you do whatever you want to do. So I had committed to uh, only 65 games. And obviously, I did that many when we stopped and we still had about 16 to go. I probably would have done... Uh, closer to about uh, 77 or 78 of the 82 if we'd have gone the whole way. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that I missed
1: games this year. Now I, all under- I understand it, Al, because uh, my last NBA job was with the Celtics and my partner, Cedric Maxwell, and last year um, I went to Bob My wife and I drove up to Boston to spend the weekend. We knew some people up there, and I called uh, Jeff Twist uh, for the Celtics and asked him if... If he can accommodate us, and so we went to a um, Celtic. I'm trying to remember their opponent. Um, it was a good opponent. Uh, oh, it was Milwaukee. Uh, it, it was a it was a very good attraction, so on and so. I called Cedric and I told him, I said, I'm coming up. Let's have dinner the night before, and so on. So we did in uh, in in one of the great Italian restaurants in in Boston in the North End. They have a- yeah, just a few. So, well, I had one favorite place called Pagluga's that Rick Pitino introduced me to some time ago. Yes. And so Cedric and I, uh, uh, he, he came to dinner with Phyllis and me and we're talking and all that. And he brings up the, the location now of where the, the, the radio broadcasters are put. And then I went to the game the next night. I mean, they're like in the corner of the gym, yes. right. uh, you know, at the top of the first tier. And I'm like, how do you possibly call a game from here? Well, you there's in in that particular
0: situation in Boston, you cannot see the three-point shooter in two of the areas. And what I what I decided this before this season started, Howard, as you said, uh, my 48th year, I don't want to be remembered by fans by people that would say, hey, "What's wrong with McCoy? Doesn't know he has the three-point shot?" Yep. Well, when you can't see it, when you can't see it, uh, that's the problem. And I have to give you this. We we both. Of course, respected Joe Tate in his broadcasting years with Cleveland. And he was still doing games where they started to move in these locations. And he had a great line. And I can't remember the arena. But anyway, a shot came from the corner from a three-point range. And Joe was doing the play-by-play for Cleveland. And he said, there's a three-point shot from the corner uh, by a player to be named later. <laughs>
1: and went on with the play-by-play. Yeah, we did. Well, they had... Joe had a great location in Cleveland. It was like at yes. mid-court in in, at the begin, the front of the second tier, but you had a great yes. vantage point. Yep. And so I'm doing the game with Cedric, and Paul Pierce takes – uh, he's a rookie – he takes this ill-advised shot. And I said to Max on the air, I said, you know, you got to go talk to your guy. That's a questionable shot. He goes, I'll tell him now. He takes his headphones off, Al. This is the truth takes his headphones off and screams at Paul from the second deck. Hey, Paul, why'd you take such a stupid shot? Well, now I take my headphones off because I'm crying. (laughs) I look at, look, the the, the NBA, and I had a a conversation with Adam Silver, who, by the way, I think does a phenomenal job as commissioner of the NBA. And I I saw him one day uh, at some event, and I said, I want to ask you about an idea. He goes, what? I said, I think... The NFL has separate halls of fame, college and pro. Baseball has Cooperstown and so on. Why doesn't the NBA have a separate hall of fame for the pros, both men and women, and uh, and a separate hall of fame for college, uh, for college athletes and coaches and so on? He goes, yeah, it's an interesting prospect. Let me think about it. About two months later, I called the office and asked to speak to Adam Silver, left him a message and told him that I wanted to revisit that conversation we had a couple months ago. He called me like an hour later, and we talked about it. He said, I discussed it with a few people, and we realized at this moment it's not a good idea. We'll revisit it at some point. But right now, it's, it's worked out well, and I really and he really didn't have a solid answer. But what do you feel about that? should there be a separate Hall of Fame for pros, both women, men and women? Well, you
0: know, I think it's a, a, certainly something to be considered and uh, i think the reason it hasn't been as you know the hall- basketball hall of fame in springfield massachusetts has gone on for so long the same way and never been changed speaking uh, for the everything and they just really haven't gotten to that point point. and uh, of course i can't be too critical because i was fortunate enough to get the county award myself a number of years ago but you make a good point because uh, you just can't throw everybody in that same area and I think what it does is it makes it difficult for some broadcasters, and there are a couple of, I might mention in the NBA that certainly belong there and have not received that award because in certain occasions it's gone, as you mentioned, to, to college broadcasters. Uh, but I, I think uh, overall uh, it's something that uh, they, they probably will consider, it, and I think they should. I would tend to agree that uh, you need separate between the amateurs and the pros.
1: Well, I got one guy i put in there. <clears throat> And you, uh, and, you know, and he's, he's a very popular guy amongst fellow broadcasters, and that's Neil Funk in Chicago. Well, uh, he certainly belongs
0: there, yep. no question.
1: Yeah, I mean, We uh, just went through the whole series of The Last Dance with uh,
0: Michael Jordan, and, of course, the broadcaster for all of those winning years was Neil Funk. And he now has retired. And he did just a limited
1: schedule the last couple of years, but he certainly does uh, belong there, no question. Oh, by the well, way, belated congratulations to you. I knew you yeah. had won the Gowdy Award. Uh, and and uh, one of my good friends, Mike Breen, has won it this year. Yes, uh, well-deserved. Yeah, and and, uh, and and Michael Wilbon also has won it amongst the writers. Yes. And, and again, richly deserved. I just realized your head of communications, Julie, is still there in Phoenix? Julie, Five. Fy- with
0: us you know she started in Kansas City then went to Sacramento and has been with the Suns for many years and uh, I think she and probably Jeff uh, Twiss are the two senior
1: PR people in the NBA Jeff with Boston of course well uh, let's get to the current day let's just deal with what we have seen so far and what we've seen so far is that it would be surprising not shocking because nothing shocks me anymore It would be surprising if the two L.A. teams were not in the Western Finals and Milwaukee certainly in the Eastern Finals. The big question is, with who? Toronto, to me, has been a huge surprise with the departure of Kawhi Leonard. Uh, The Celtics have to be considered in the conversation. You might want to throw in Miami and Philadelphia in the discussion. But out West, is anybody, I mean, is is, Kawhi Leonard, Utah or Denver, anybody even close to the Lakers and Clippers? Well, you know, before the season started, Howard,
0: uh, many people uh, felt that Denver could be the premier team in the NBA. Uh, They have brought that club along slowly, kept the personnel, uh, but they've been up and down. Now, whether they could really respond if we get into a playoff situation obviously is questionable. I think most people would agree— Lakers, Clippers, L.A., L.A. would be the two top teams right now. Denver could be a possibility, and then you have to throw in Utah. Those are both veteran teams now that have a lot of potential. And when it comes to playoff time, if they could step up, maybe they could challenge either the Lakers or the Clippers. But I think your analogy uh, would be agreed by most of us that have followed the league, just as you put it, the two L.A. teams uh, up on top and then, As I said, maybe Denver, and then perhaps Utah. That's
1: about it. Now, beginning of the season, um, I said that the Clippers would be in the NBA Finals. I thought they were the deepest team when they picked up Jackson from Detroit and picked up, um, uh, well, they already had George and and Kawhi, but this is a, a team top to bottom would have to be considered the deepest team in the NBA, but... I don't know how you figure out how to defend Anthony Davis and LeBron James at the same time. That The way they have meshed very quickly is really impressive. Well, no question about it. Of course, you, when you get to
0: playoffs and you talk about the veteran players, you have to bring up what-if injuries. Uh, you know, AD uh, has had his problems with injuries. Uh, LeBron's certainly not a teenager anymore. You get into uh, a heavy uh, series, uh, injuries could be a factor. But otherwise, uh, I I think you're absolutely right. You look at the depth of that Clipper team. If there's one area the Lakers were a little questionable on was their depth, although that has shown pretty well in the regular season, I think better than some people felt it might at the start of the campaign. But that depth of the Clippers is pretty hard to, to beat.
1: Last week I had Joel Myers on who does the Pelicans games in New Orleans. I don't know if a young player has taken the league by storm quite as quickly as Zion Williamson. Have you seen him up close? Well, just a couple of times, and
0: not really when he was at his peak uh, because he missed so many games early. Uh, We had them coming up later in the season, after the season was stopped, but uh, he came in with a big fanfare, no question about it. I think you'd have to go back to the days of... Wilt and Kareem and, and players of that nature when they came into the NBA with the hoopla that everyone came up with. But certainly, uh, New Orleans uh,
1: was certainly getting a lot of uh, publicity when they signed that young man, no question about it. Well, the Rookie of the Year, if they, if they took the ball- ballot now, it'd be uh, uh, John Moran in, in Memphis. This kid has got so much skill and so much talent, uh, which for considering his age, I mean, he's taken the league by storm as well. Well, you bring up
0: a very good point, Howard, and we talked earlier about how the game has changed with the three-point shot now, uh, with the less physical part of the game, and now uh, when we're uh, drafting guys out of daycare centers, (laughs) anything can happen when you bring in these 18, 19, 20-year-old players. And uh, you make a a good point. These young players now uh, progress quicker because they get into the league quicker, and, and the, the whole complex of the game has changed. It's a three-point uh, shooting uh, game, and uh, these young players that could come in with their ability, and a lot of them, you know, have worked uh, not just with high school teams or a year of college, but with other uh, teams that, to develop their skills, and uh, some of them come in uh, with more skills than, than we might imagine. But that, that's another thing that has changed the game is the young players now.
1: That are involved. Well, you know, you've been around the league a long time, Al, and, and Joel also has, has spent some time in San Antonio, has immediately brought the subject of Greg Popovich, who we'll get out in history as one of the great coaches ever to walk a sideline. But even Popovich makes no bones about it. He's not a big fan of the three-point shot. No. And, of course, we all love Popovich, but you know what makes great coaches? Great players. Sure.
0: he's had He's had a few in San Antonio. No question about it. Well, you know, every sport, Howard, has changed to offense is the key. And I don't care what the sport is. Look at baseball, all the home runs. It's ridiculous. We never thought there'd be this many goals scored in hockey. Uh, Football, the NFL, is quarterbacks and receivers. Anybody know anything about, uh, you know, some of the big running backs anymore? Nope. But offense is the key. Score more points, score more points. And that's why the three-point shot is so impressive in the NBA. You can be down by 20 points, and in five minutes, if you've got three-point shooters, you're back in the ball game. So, uh, as I said, it's not necessarily something that I think is the best, but fans love points, and we've seen it in every one of the pro sports.
1: Offense is the key. No doubt. Uh, I mentioned uh, in looking over this league, particularly out west where you're very familiar And the Warriors have had their run, and, you know, obviously Kevin Durant leaves. Clay Thompson goes down. Steph Curry went down for a stretch. But I I believe that that's still a really good destination for free agents. I don't expect it's going to take long for the Warriors to get back into title contention. Well, we get back to a point I made earlier.
0: Today, players go where they want to play. And Golden State has that reputation. Steve is an outstanding coach who the players love. And I, I would agree they're going to be back very, very quickly. But this scenario makes it tough for teams like the Suns and Sacramento and Charlotte, and I could go on, that aren't the uh, the big, big areas of a population. And when players decide where they want to play, that's usually where they wind up. And I agree I
1: think Golden State will be back in the mix very, very soon. Let's let's assume that it's, um, let's take it one at a time. Lakers versus Milwaukee in the NBA Finals. It's two superstars versus one superstar. Middleton's a nice player, but he's not in the superstar category. But Milwaukee is, and people don't understand, Milwaukee is very good defensively. They're a very good team. I'm glad you mentioned their
0: defensive play because they're excellent. Eric Bledsoe, former son, is a starting guard for them. He's a tough defender. It would be a a very interesting series, and uh, again, we always get back to the point, it depends a lot on how it's called from the officiating standpoint. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the Lakers were their superstar, Milwaukee were their superstar, it's one of those uh, games we probably both would pay to see. It would be a tremendous series, no question about it, and as I said, I think if, uh, we would have gone all the way in a normal NBA campaign and not had all these problems health-wise around the world that we probably would have seen those two teams in the NBA
1: Finals and it would have been a great series. Yeah, the Clippers, I mentioned before, a very deep team. I mean, they can go nine deep, ten deep. Uh, and that brings up what has been, for me, the biggest surprise this year in the NBA, and that is how well the Raptors are doing after losing a superstar like Kawhi Leonard, who basically carried them to the championship last year. Well, I I like their coach, and I
0: think uh, they've established a good foundation, and they have seen uh, some of their players step up, definitely. And uh, I would have to agree they are a surprise, but they're a definite factor, and they're one of those teams that you say, well, on any given night, Toronto could, and they have shown that this
1: year, no question. Well, the Celtics, uh, uh, still, I have a question mark next to the Celtics. I like that. Look, I'm a huge fan of Jason Tatum's. When I saw this kid at Duke in the NCAA tournament before he was drafted, I said, this kid has got NBA all over him, and he's only going to get better. I, I mean, I could see a day where this kid will be a, a huge contender, if not already, for the MVP award. Yeah, I would agree. He's a great player. Boston's
0: problem, again, has been injuries. And, uh, you know, that's another part of the game that has changed so much. I mean, uh, <laughs> for not being critical to players, I love them all, But a guy gets a hangnail and he's out two weeks, you know, because he has his agent telling him, now listen, you don't play until you're 100% now, you know, And I get the biggest charge, uh, again, during this respite. Uh, We've been watching a lot of former games and uh, going back to the Sun Chicago series when we were talking about Charles Barkley. I mean, Barkley played every minute. I mean, these guys never came out of games. They played 46, 47 minutes of the 48 every single night. And, and they played 82 games during the regular season. And uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. We don't. And that's been one of Boston's problems uh, this year and last year is uh, the injury situation.
1: I look at, uh, at Al McCoy and all the players that you have called in your time with the Phoenix Suns, hundreds of players that's, that have, have contributed to the Phoenix Suns. If I give you a, a 10 seconds... You give me three players that were your personal favorites, and is Devin Booker one of them? Well, Devin Booker would be 30. He only scored 70
0: in Boston. I mean, you know, (laughs) that that takes you back a while. (laughs) We have been so fortunate here in Phoenix Howard, going all the way back to the start of the franchise with the uh, great Hall of Famer that we had here, Connie Hawkins, going back through the years of the Dick Van Arsdales and Amari Stoudemeyers, and the Kevin Johnsons and Marleys and Barkley's and Steve Nash and, and uh, Marion. I mean, I could just go right on down the great players that we've been fortunate enough to have here. And of course, uh, the teams that you remember, obviously in 76, the first time they went to the finals with Alvin Adams, a rookie, and he was rookie of the year that year. And then going on to 93 with Barkley. And then uh, Mike D'Antoni, coach, when he and Steve Nash kind of changed the way this game was played. So, when I look back at my 48 years, you almost have to go through uh, different eras with the Suns, mm. and not as much as, as individual players. But we've been fortunate here with some of the players that I just mentioned, a few of them, that have worn uh, the Phoenix Suns uniform. Yep. Obviously, Steve Nash was the last one that I mentioned there during Mike D'Antoni's coaching era, and what did you say, two-time MVP? and. Certainly one of the best all-time point guards ever to play this game. I would uh, would
1: pretty much take it for granted that of all the teams the Phoenix Suns play, you probably hate the Lakers the most because it's at least seven times in the postseason the Lakers have knocked the Phoenix Suns out. Well,
0: that's true, and the amazing thing is it started early. Uh, uh, People are not aware of the fact that the Suns, in their opening year, when they came into the NBA, won only 16 games. The next year, they made the playoffs. And who do they meet in the opening round? The Lakers with West, and Chamberlain, and Baylor, and that great, great team. And the Suns won the first three games and had a 3 nothing lead in that playoff series against the Lakers in only their second year in the NBA. Then Jimmy Fox, their starting center, got injured, couldn't play the rest of the way. They had some injuries, and the Lakers came back and won the series. But that really started the rivalry, and it has continued, and of course, we talked earlier about uh, the, the Barkley team of 93, and of course, you may remember, that was uh, when the Suns played the Lakers in the opening round, and the Lakers won the first two games, Paul Westfall was the coach, the series moved back to Phoenix, and Paul uh, just said to the media, no problem, we lost the first two, but we're going to win the rest, and we're going to win the series.
1: <laughs> And they did, and went on to the finals, as we know. Well, his style was just, you know, you got to outscore us. That's right. Which was entertaining. He was, the, he, he was the right coach for that team, that's for sure. You know, I, you mentioned West, Baylor, and Chamberlain. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of the Knicks winning the championship in 1970. Yeah. Uh, and then they won it again in 73, which is the last time the Knicks have won a, an NBA championship. Um uh, I remember that, and that was the famous Willis Reed dragging his leg out onto the floor. But right. people forget. Now, it's Wes, Baylor, and Chamberlain, three of the best players ever to put on NBA shorts. And Willis has got one bad leg. because Clyde Frazier went off for 36 points and 19 assists. That had something to do with the outcome of that game. You know, it's interesting, Howard,
0: and uh, I have to tell you, my lifestyle certainly has changed in the last six to eight weeks because of what's going on. And uh, I don't watch any TV during the daytime. and I watch no news, but I read a lot and I've gone through some old books and I found uh, this one a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Leonard Coppin book, 24 seconds to shoot, which was a history of the start of the NBA in 1945 to 1970. And, uh, it really, brought back a lot of memories, and you just mentioned that one, uh, with uh, the Knicks and the Lakers, so on and so forth, and those players that really started the NBA. was a great book by Leonard Coppett, and I've enjoyed reading it for probably the second or third time.
1: Yeah, uh, when I was with the Nets, Willis Reed took over as a coach for one year. Well, they had fired Dave Wall, and then Willis took over the team for the remainder of the season. So we were on the road a lot with Willis. It was a particular thrill for me, Having grown up a Nick fan in New York. And we got on the, we are on a trip somewhere and I'm sitting with Willis and I said, What do you remember about May 8th, 1970? He goes, Oh, the seventh game. Said, yeah. What do you remember about that? He goes, Well, I'm on the table in the training room getting treatment for my thigh. And the phone rings in the training room. Now, who gets the phone number for the training room? I don't know. But who is it but his daughter? His daughter called to wish him. Good luck, and I just want you, I, I'm thinking of your Daddy, and so on. His daughter was celebrating her eighth birthday, and she called him in the training room. He said, if I told you that drove me, and I said, well, it's a great story, Willis. It's got a great romantic story attached to it, but really, is that was that what motivated you, or to make Chamberlain, Weston, Baylor say, you know, I'm not dead yet? Interesting. He, yeah, he's... But you know, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I, I said it's interesting, but, you know, going back, as I did in, in looking at those years, you know, everybody wants to know,
0: oh, who's the greatest player ever to play this game? And I don't get into those discussions. But sometimes we just forget about a Will Chamberlain. And what a great overall athlete that he really was. I mean, he was a track star. Uh, he did a lot of other things. And, you know, if he was playing the game today, he'd be unstoppable. He would be completely unstoppable. What about Kareem? He will certainly belongs when we start talking about who is
1: the greatest player of all time. I don't want to get into that but because it, it just depends on a lot of different things. But he certainly has to be uh, in the mix, so to speak. Yeah, I, hey, I'll, yeah. never forget, I'll never forget him to tell you this story. This Go was ahead. just a couple of years ago. I just happened to be listening, and Bill Russell
0: was being interviewed uh, by someone. I think this was an L.A. station. And uh, that question came up, Well. Bill, uh, we got Michael Jordan, LeBron. Who was the greatest player ever to play this game? And Bill gave it that little cackle laugh of his and said, Anybody ever hear of a guy named Wilt? (laughs) And I
1: thought it was a pretty good answer. You know, Al, that's a great barroom discussion that I think goes nowhere um, in terms of Michael and LeBron, who's the greatest of all time. And look, Michael Jordan was the greatest of his time. And LeBron James was the greatest of his time. And the conversation—it's like my first boss in broadcasting said: "There's two things stay away from on the air: politics and religion, because there's no <laughs> there's no right answer." And it's the same here. Yeah. Yes. No question. No question. It's
0: just a discussion for fans because uh, every era is different. I mean, you know, we people that are just watching the NBA today forget uh, uh, when you were there. Uh, and I'm still there, the physicality of this game. I mean, I, I had to bring back a lot of memories, as we both know, Jerry Sloan, one of the greatest yeah. guys you'd ever want to meet, passing away this week, and we knew him as a player uh, with Chicago, and that is a great coaching years with Utah. But when Dick Van Arsdale was a starting guard for the Suns, and uh, Jerry Sloan was a starting guard for the Chicago Bulls, when those two teams met, I never thought those guys, those two would survive the night. Hmm. I mean, they just knocked each other all over the place. Bang, bang, run
1: into you, knock him down, jump on him. And uh, that's just the way the game was played then. Look, I got, I, I liked the Last Dance um, documentary. I enjoyed every single one of the episodes. Yes. But And I've talked to a lot of people about it in terms of their impression of Michael Jordan. Had it changed? Uh, what you, ex- what you knew, thought you knew about Michael Jordan and what you now have found out. Uh, and a couple of guys, uh, I mean, Horace Grant has been critical. Pippen has been somewhat critical. Charles Oakley has been somewhat critical. And I'm saying to myself, what do these guys have to gain by criticizing Jordan? Interesting point. I, I don't know. What, I don't either. What are, you, what, what are you gaining by, you think you're going to demean what he did in the NBA? Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan was a guy that I remember my first time I did a game when I was started with the Nets, the first time I saw Jordan on the court, I I was caught up in the oohs and the ahs because it's only natural. The guy did things that heretofore had not been done. Well, both of us,
0: I'm sure, have been asked a great deal the last week's our thoughts on Michael Jordan and I never like to get into a lot of insight on players, so I have used one line that I've given to everybody. And that is, Michael Jordan lived in his own world,
1: but his world was winning basketball games. And championships, you're right. You mentioned Will Chamberlain yeah. before. One quick story. You remember when Will came out with the book saying that he had 20,000 escapades with women? Oh, yes. I kept looking for uh, the biography. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I I, uh, I get the book, and I was doing, a, I created a magazine show when I was with the Nets, a weekly half hour called Above the Rim, and I got the great opportunity to interview Wilt at a hotel salon uh, in New York. And he sits down, we put the mic, they put the mics on us and all of this, and we still, my wife's sitting in the room watching this. And I said, Wilt, according to your book, you've had 20,000 episodes with women. Now, was it one it was a 20,000 different women or one woman 20,000 times. Yeah. And he's looking at me incredulously, and he says, well, I'm not bragging. And I said, you're not. If I were you, I would be.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, he was a classic. Oh, there's no. But, but just to show you how some players are different. This was when Wilt, uh, was in the, he was with the Lakers, and uh, in those days, A lot of us used to do player interviews after the game out at center court, and people would stay after the game to hear your interviews, and it was on television and on radio. And so uh, I talked to Wilt before the game, I said, and the game was in Phoenix. I said, Wilt, no matter win or lose, would you come out uh, and be on with me uh, after the game? And he said, oh, little man, sure, I'll, I'll come out, I'll do it, I'll do it. So he did. And, uh, and I found out later that uh, he was uh, scheduled to be on TV in L.A. the next morning at 8 o'clock on a charity-type event, and he had a charter plane waiting for him at the airport in Phoenix to take him to L.A. after the game, but he still took the
1: time to come out with me at center court and do the interview. Yeah, you know that's that's a great story. I'll, I'll just give you one, not to compete with that, but just to mention about what a player, where a player is thinking. I'm doing a game in, um, I want to say it was in Tor- Toronto, and uh, Tracy McGrady is playing for the for Toronto, and I'm sitting, getting my notes together courtside before the game, and McGrady comes over to me, and I don't know the guy. I Understand this? Comes over to me, he goes, "Are you Howard David?" I said, "Yes." He goes, I'm going to be your post-game guest. And I said, you are? Win or lose? He goes, win or lose. I'll come out. I said, okay. Now, you just heard this Al. Are you thinking this is for real? You know, and that's what I'm thinking. This isn't for real. Anyway, the t- and I forget which team I was covering. It was either the Nets or the Bucks or the Celtics, one of the three. And they beat, the, the, beat Toronto that night. Tracy McGrady came out. He, rem- after a loss, he remembered to come out. He sat down, and I said, Tracy, if I live to be 100, I will never, ever forget that you, number one, came out and said, I'm going to be your guest. And number two, you, you came out when you said you would, win or lose. Well, and that well, impressed times, me. Times have changed, right? Oh, yeah, that impressed me. Hey, Al, it's great talking to you, my friend. I hope our well, paths cross great, again. It, yeah, it's great to get caught up with you, Howard, uh, Great friend, you've had a great career, and it's always nice to visit with you. Stay healthy and stay safe, Al. That's my only message. Thanks. My best to you. Thank you so much. Al McCoy, one of the true great ones. 48 years doing the Phoenix Suns. Think about it. 48 years. First of all, you're living in Phoenix. That's good for starters. Number two, Getting to go to work every day, and you—I mean, they, they've struggled the last seven, eight years. I get that. But they had a lot of success with that franchise. And at the end of the day, you're going home to Phoenix. And the weather's great all the time. If you're a golfer, you play golf all the time. What's wrong with that? And they've had a lot of good players, a lot of good teams. And you talk about greatness in our profession. Al McCoy is one of the greats. Um, a living legend. 48 years doing the Phoenix Suns. He is the dean of NBA broadcasters. How about that? I, I think he deserves a ton of credit. I really do. So to Mitch Holtis, thank you. To Al McCoy, thank you. Got another big day coming up tomorrow where I'm looking forward to speaking with um, a couple of more stars of the broadcast profession, stars of uh, the NFL, NBA, World. Uh, tomorrow, we've got Manish Mehta. He's a uh, a reporter uh, for the Daily News in New York, covering primarily the New York Jets. We'll see what's going on with that franchise. And then the voice of the Dallas Mavericks, Chuck Cooperstein, will join us. Coming up later in the week on Thursday, particularly excited about an old friend of mine, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, is going to join me. The former outstanding NFL wide receiver. Uh, who's doing a lot of television work now for ESPN. So he will join me on Thursday. I want you to stay healthy. I want you to stay safe. Thank you for watching Howard David Live. Have a good day.
0: And to close out the show, a friendly reminder that Howard David Inside Sports is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag, use the promo code MYPOD100, and they'll match your first deposit up to $1,000. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week. (music) you. <music>